Thank you. Uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Uh, if you haven't uh, been here, you've never been here or haven't been here in the last few months, we are doing three different series, short four-week series this fall on worship, word, and witness, or sort of uh, to outline our prayer requests that have been going out in our newsletter for a long time. And after uh, those series, after the first two, actually, we were having testimonies. So today, you don't get to hear me speak. You get to hear two other different people speak. Uh, Todd, who's going to come up here right now, and who's going to start us off. And then, um, then my beautiful wife will be up after him to speak, and uh, you have the floor. So we, Todd, Todd and Kim are ending our series uh, on the Word, so I asked them to kind of share about what the word has done in their life. So, amen. Okay, uh, good morning. Um, I grew up in a family that went to church every Sunday, and faith uh, generally was not a part of our everyday lives other than saying grace at meals. Uh, my grandmother did have a personal relationship with the Lord and sometimes did in attempt to encourage us to to do the same. Uh, the church that our family uh, attended in suburban Cleveland, Ohio, um, had a new pastor around the time that I was ending junior high school. And the message of the church had changed a bit. The pastor gave sermons about changing uh, perspectives in society on social norms, and instead of preaching God's truth, he'd often uh, say things like, well, when writing the Bible, Paul wasn't aware of what we are aware of today, or Paul didn't have an understanding of this or of that, or similar statements. Uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, my mom asked if we could visit a church that had been meeting for about 20 years and had just finished construction of their own building. I asked what denomination it was. She said that it was independent. I'd never really you know, heard of uh, this type of church before. I asked where it was located, and it was in one of those twilight zones of addresses. It was really in one town, um, but it was um, more or less technically close to another town. It had a different town's mailing address, so I was convinced, you know, based on these factors, this place had to be a cult. <laughs> and uh, furthermore, uh, to further that idea, um, for those of you old enough to remember, this was around the time of the Branch Davidian incident in Waco, Texas. And um, my fears, though, of this place being a cult were taken away when we uh, showed up. And, and the pastor, um, Alistair Begg, um, he preached from the Bible using scripture to talk about what are churches and what are cults, you know, a biblical perspective and using, using scripture to discuss the issue. And I had never, like, turned the pages of my Bible during a church service ever, you know, so much before. Uh, the following summer, I went with my former church, which I was still attending. Uh, many of my classmates um, still attended there. To, to paraphrase John Mellencamp, I, I uh, lived in a small town, and the uh, high school that I went to was right next door to the church, so you know, it was where uh, most folks from the, you know, my classmates would be for youth group and all. And um, we had a summer missions trip to the Alabama coast to, uh, to paint uh, houses. Um, we stayed overnight at a uh, church um, in the south, and the next morning at that church, a small little Baptist church out in the country, someone in the choir sang the hymn, Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim It, an old gospel song. 
and I kept thinking, what does redemption you know, mean? I've, I've redeemed my skee-ball tickets before for little you know, knickknacks, but other than that, I really don't know what, she, what she's singing about. Um, after that trip, then I did go more often to the youth group at my new church. We learned from the Bible. Uh, the message of the Bible gave me hope uh, to the despair and worry that can sometimes accompany adolescence. My friends would pray before meals, went out at McDonald's. I'd never seen that before. And on October 6, 1993, I met with the youth pastor in his office and accepted Christ as my savior. And as we went to our new church, the pastor's expository preaching from the Bible with the message of the Bible at the forefront of the teaching uh, grew my faith. This was different than my experience at the past church um, where the mission of the church seemed to be take the day's social issues and things that people were you know, discussing out in the world and then pick and choose passages from scripture uh, to support his points. My dad would always say that this place had the right to exist, but it certainly shouldn't be called a Christian church. Um, and so when I think about my faith journey, scripture was a major part of it. Um, since we had been at a church where the pastor was deconstructing the message of the Bible, I found it helpful to quickly learn and memorize 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be prepared for every good work. This verse is shortly before one that was relevant to what we were experiencing also at our former church. 2 Timothy 4.3. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around a great number of teachers to hear what their itching ears uh, want to say. They will turn away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship. Throughout my faith journey, I appreciate the verse in Colossians. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And from 1 Peter. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. As a parent, um, now with children at the age where we can do more in-depth Bible studies together, I've benefited from the verses of Proverbs that align the wisdom of God to his earthly sons to the wisdom a father gives to his sons. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. I have learned much through scripture on my faith journey, and I'm thankful that when I came to faith, I learned so much about the importance and the significance of it. All right, so here's the quote. <clears throat> Listen carefully, because I'm going to ask you if you can figure out who said this. I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. <laughs> Let me read it again. I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. So I knew I was giving this talk, and I read that, and something I read this week, and I just loved it. I thought I'd start with that. So that's kind of what we're talking about, our conscious being captive to the word of God. Um, so these kinds of things, sometimes it's hard, like, oh, how do I organize all my thoughts? So I, I'm kind of going to do it chronological. I, when I grew up, a um, little different than Todd's experience, went to a Bible-believing church. And back then, back then, I am that old, um, 
I mean, your life revolved around church. You went to church Sunday morning, you went to church Sunday night, you went to church Wednesday night, you went to Christian camp. I ended up going to Christian school from eighth grade till my freshman year of college. Um, you, you know, youth group was like so active and did all this stuff. And there was so much scripture. And it was always like, you know, they'd make it fun and you'd have little rewards or you'd do different games to, to learn your scripture. I remember, you know, the Sunday school teacher, which was the pastor's wife, <clears throat> being up there with like each word written on a card and then she would take away one card at a time so you could memorize it. So I had a lot of scripture um, kind of pounded into my brain growing up, which I now really appreciate because I, I haven't forgotten it. Like, who's gonna forget John 3:16? Like, I memorized that so many times growing up. Um, I tried to recreate that when we started 6-8 um, with the kids. I tried to recreate that kind of thing of memorizing the scripture, and none of the kids did it, except mine, and that got embarrassing because they were the only ones getting the rewards, so I stopped it. <laughs> but these were like kids from like strong Christian families, and they just weren't, they weren't doing it. Um, so there was a change, and I just think that's a shame. And it reminds me of the story I read um, from this book, great book, by the way. Um, Jason did a story from here about the guy in prison and everyone sings for him. That's where you get that story. Um, anyway, so this guy writes this book, because what he's trying to figure out is how does faith survive, let alone flourish, in the places of life that are overcome with the darkness of sin, despair, and hopelessness. So this is another story, a short story from the book. So this takes place, 1950s communist Russia. Um, so these three pastors decide they wanna try and get together some young people from all around Russia. Because what, what it was like back then was you just had these small secret house churches, and pretty much those house churches were family and relatives. So they're thinking these kids are growing up and they don't realize that there's just like a whole other, all these other believers out there. So let's get the young people together. So they get them together. I don't know how they did it secretly, but they did it. And then one of the pastors is like, ah, let's see how much of the Bible these kids know. Because none of them owned a Bible. None of them owned a hymn book, nothing, right? So let's just see how much they know. So they put them in small groups and they made it a game. So during the conference, you get together, you meet in your small group, and then you see how much of the Bible you can write down. How much of it do you guys know? So at the end of the conference, um, they got all the groups together. <sighs> the young people had recreated all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John from memory with only a half dozen mistakes. They had also recreated the lyrics of more than 1,200 songs, choruses and hymns of the faith from memory. So the author writes, it became clear to me in an instant why and how the Christian faith had survived and thrived under decades of communist oppression in the Soviet Union. I also understood what had enabled so many Russian believers to remain strong and faithful. So, he heard this story, so the author, this is not his real name, by the way, um, he heard this story when he went to Russia after, like 2003 or something like that. And he heard it from one of the old pastors who was like very old at the time. So he asks some of the younger, these are like grandchildren of these pastors, so the younger generation, he's like, how much of the Bible do you guys know? 
Like, can you recite some of the verses? They just kind of looked around. He's like, okay, well then, tell me some stories that you know from the, the Bible. What stories do you know? They came up with a handful. How many books of the Bible can you name? The author asks. They said a few. Um, so he did see, however, um, what the church had lost in their freedom. They all had, all these ki um, kids, young kids had Bibles, but they didn't know it. They didn't know their scripture. Um, so under communism, the church had found a way to, to survive, and scripture and holy song was its lifeblood. Now on a much freer day for the church, scripture and holy song were not nearly as important, which I just think is really sad. And to me, that's just a encouragement to like, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want to take my Bible for granted, even though there's probably a hundred Bibles in this room right now. Um, so as I got older, I, you know, I was constantly pursuing God, wanting to get to this kind of relationship I wanted. And there was always verses that were um, important to me. Uh, Todd said this, I thought this is great, so I wrote it down. The despair that accompanies adolescence. So during that time of my life, <laughs> um, Psalms 34, 17 to 18 um, was something that I memorized, had it like all over my house and everything. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Um, during our time in Indonesia, a verse that was important to me then um, was in Habakkuk. Um, it's, it was a hard, it was hard to, be, to live in another country. So I would um, memorize this verse and then I would change the words around and make it fit my own situation. But this is what Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18 reads. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. So basically you're destitute. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. <clears throat> that's still always a convicting verse every time I read it. Another verse that's always been something that's, I've memorized and has been in my head is Hebrews 10:24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I sometimes think about that verse when I go out with other believers, like this is what we're supposed to be doing together. Um, another verse that is always a good reminder, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's always a good reminder. James 1.19. <clears throat> this is another verse that's been great for me and one that I had my kids memorize and really taught to them. I'm an introvert. Most of my kids are more on the introverted side, too. And they would struggle, you know, with new people sometimes. Um, but 2 Timothy 1.7, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So that's also been an encouraging verse. Um, <clears throat> in the past year, I feel like I've made more progress with my pursuit of Christ. And I feel like when I look back, why? <clears throat> I think a big thing was time. Um, my kids were growing up, 
and I had more time, and I chose to spend it more in more reading of the Bible and prayer. Um, I was also convinced, I like to read missionary stories, <clears throat> and in some of the books I was reading of from pastors or missionaries, they were saying how they would spend three hours a day in Bible reading and prayer. Now, granted, these are missionaries and pastors, so they don't have a nine to five job, <clears throat> but still, three hours a day. And that has, that's encouraged me to just, like the more time I spend with God, like the better life goes. It's just that way. Um, so since I spend a lot of time, I have this bag. It was made by the preschool class years ago here at church. And in this bag are like all my bag, my tricks. <laughs> I wouldn't call them tricks, but um, I have like my Bible, I have some liturgy stuff, here's my Bible, my journal um, that I write things down so I don't forget, I have like a book to read, like a Christian book, um, here's all my verses I memorize that after Jason talked I have them now into three piles, one, two, and three, okay, one you work on more often, two not as often, and three every once in a while because you know them really well. Um, <clears throat> So, but even though I have that whole bag, like I want my focus always to be on my Bible. I don't want to spend most of my time listening to sermons or podcasts or reading books by other people, but I want my focus always to be on what God says because I feel like that's the most important. I mean, that's what um, challenged Martin Luther, right, was the word of God. Um, so... One thing I love about the Bible is you can read it and it's always new. So this is how I read the Bible right now. I, it always changes. I'm reading through the Bible, and I've done that before, and it gets really boring when you get to the prophecy books, right? And you're just like, oh, blah, 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 blah. So what I do now is like I'll re I'm reading an Old Testament book, and I read a New Testament book, but my New Testament book, I'll go back and forth. New Testament book, prophecy book, New Testament book, prophecy book, and then I'm always reading like, in the Older Testament, um, which helps that I'm not reading the prophecy books like all in a row. <clears throat> so I got to the book of Le Leviticus. Raise your hand if you've ever read Leviticus. Okay. I, I've read it before too, and I was just like, oh, Leviticus. Like, it's like a pretty boring book usually, but I read it this time, and I loved it. Like, I got so much from Leviticus, and that's what I think is so cool about the Bible, is that one verse could be boring one year and be your favorite verse the next year. Um, and what I got from Leviticus, basically, um, was God hates sin. He hates it. And I, what I learned from that was it helps my sometimes lackadaisical attitude towards sin. It helps me appreciate what God has done through sending Christ so I don't have to go out and get bloody, like killing animals. Um, and it also helps me see how God is so loving, but he's also a God to be feared because he did not like sin, and there was some hard stuff that went on <clears throat> if you did not repent. Here's my other paper. Um, just last week, I read something in Judges that I didn't really like a whole lot. And I'm like, 
I don't understand. Why is it like this? Why didn't God address this issue? And that happens when we read the Bible, right? And for me, when I read stuff like that, I'll maybe I'll look in a commentary, maybe I'll ask some other people. Um, sometimes understanding comes later. We read something once and don't understand it, and five years later, maybe we'll understand it as we've grown. And other times, I just have to have faith that I don't understand this. Like it's, I think it's written on a third grade level, I think I've heard. But it's hard to understand sometimes, and sometimes I don't understand, and I have to trust that God is obviously way smarter than I am, and he knows what's going on, and I just have faith that it's okay. Um, what I also love, too, is that God speaks personally, I feel, in the Bible. Um, I got this, this verse. Oh, yeah, I just read he, through the book of Hebrews, and I loved this verse, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. But especially the first sentence, I'll read it again. For the word of God is alive and active. And I've really come to see that in my life, how alive and active it is. For example, um, on the women's retreat that we had back in September, uh, Kathleen challenged everybody to have a quiet time of asking God what a verse would be for them for the year. So I'm walking around the room, I'm holding the McMenon's baby, and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Because you, know, you do, some, sometimes God talks to you, but lots of times he doesn't. I'll be quite honest to me. So I'm kind of praying, kind of praying half-heartedly a little bit, I feel like. But then in my mind, in these bright orange neon letters, come this Bible reference. And it was a really random Bible reference that I'd never heard of before. Because sometimes when that happens, you know, you, you think of like the verse you just read that morning or a verse you're trying to memorize. But this is totally random. I didn't know what it was. So I go over to the Bible and I look it up. <clears throat> I was like, wow. Okay, God, thank you. That was, that was amazing. And I, when that kind of stuff happens, I make sure I always write it down in my journal. Because you want to remember stuff like that. Um, times when you need it. Uh, and just to, and lastly, I think another way in which God, or the Bible, is alive and active. So some of you who have been around for a while, um, you know Lindley. They, her family, they moved recently further away from us. There was a story she told me once of when she was younger, that she loved Jesus so much that she would go to sleep hugging her Bible. Wouldn't you love if your kids fell asleep hugging their Bible, right? And I've always remembered that and been kind of jealous that she had that kind of relationship that when she was younger, she would hug her Bible. She loved it so much. But I really feel like I'm developing that love for my Bible. Um, the other week, something was upsetting and I just wanted to leave. So I grabbed my car keys and then I grabbed my bag with my Bible in it. And I... Um, I went out and sat by the creek and read my Bible. And I felt like God even spoke to me there. There was a, I was reading Psalms, and there was a verse that said, Psalms 31.4, 
keep me from the trap that is set for me. And how I took that is sometimes when we're upset, we can go down this road we really shouldn't go down, right? We can get angry, we can get bitter, or whatever. Um, and I felt like God was warning me, like, be careful, don't go down this road. So I'm really glad that I'm learning to love my Bible more and more, and I feel like I want it to be, if you know the story of the Velveteen Rabbit, I want my Bible to be the Velveteen Rabbit. I want it to be worn and well-loved. That's hard to follow. <laughs> Isn't it amazing to hear other people's stories? And, and I'm sure there are many, many more. I, um, when we started this thing on the word, I, I can't stop thinking about Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and delivered himself up for me. All the scriptures I know really well, I learned in song. <laughs> um, and as Kim said, I have not forgotten a single one of them. I know all those songs really well. And um, the one song I, I learned in high school that I've shared with you is, For I Am Convinced from Romans 8. Right, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a long verse, <laughs> right? But I, I've, I learned that in high school at Christian summer camp. Um, so I just encourage you, those of you who um, are trying to learn scripture, music is a great way. Did you know that words activate one half of your brain, one part of your brain? Music activates another, so a melody. Rhythm activates the back, and emotion activates the front. So you know those songs you love? You know that you love from high school, from middle school, from wherever they now, and you get all worked up when they come on the radio and you're like, yeah! That's because partially it activated all the parts of your brain. So when you think about a song and you're like, oh, I love this song, because it has emotion to it. So um, as we do worship, you know, when we think about the worship that we do in song. I mean, that's the obvious stuff. Worship is not just music. Worship is just an attitude, right, of coming before God in humility and adoration and declaring who he is and what he's done. But we often celebrate that through music. And um, today, we're gonna do a little exercise on stances of worship. So if you'll stand for me, I'm gonna play a couple snippets of sound bites, and I want you to respond physically in a way that you think would be appropriate, all right? Let me make sure it plays.
People are feeling funny. It's okay. You can move. point right when we hear certain things we just move and uh, you can have a seat <laughs> so when I was thinking about you know um, my own journey in postures and worship you know I grew up in a very conservative respectable church and um, you know we sang hymns you know so you're holding the hymnal when we remember that some of you remember that holding the hymnals in front and singing all four verses, five maybe, of the thing with the organ. And I love the organ, so I'm not dissing the organ, but like, you know, you're very stationary, right? So you're singing and you're like standing like this. But as I learned um, to worship, to become a true worshiper 
in, that means my body too. And so I would, you know, I might do like the little like hand thing, like open my hands down here and I might make it up to here, but that was like as far as I would go. Like this is the limit. Um, <laughs> so, and I, and I, I didn't know why, I just thought it was because that wasn't respectable to worship with my whole body. No one else did it. And then I went to a concert in Atlantic City and I just had a really bad day, like one of the worst days ever. And someone gave me tickets to a train concert. And I was like, yeah, I'm going. Because that's great. Oh, thank you, Lord, you gave me train tickets. And those of you who don't know train, it's perfectly fine. I don't really know them well, but it was still fun. So I walk in and, you know, and we're just, I'm with my friends and, you know, it's such a gift, right? Free tickets and we're enjoying the concert. And I realized that when they were singing songs I knew, my hands were going up and I was singing with everybody else in the crowd. And we were like, yeah, singing along. That was more expression than I'd ever put in church. And it was a secular concert for just songs on the radio. And I was convicted. I felt God say to me, that's worship. I was like, oh. And I will tell you, the journey has been hard. It did not come easily for me. But um, being able to allow myself to experiment with motion while I worship has been really amazing and my worship has deepened. So there are some times where I'm like just, you know, I'm, I'm in my head and that's fine. But then I have some times where I'm like jumping and like dancing and that's okay too. David danced. It embarrassed his wife. <laughs> she was like, what are you doing? But when you are encaptured in, just like captivated by the Lord and what he's done, it's almost impossible to like hold it in. So we're gonna do a little experimenting today. So if you can stand again. Everyone's like, oh no. All right, um, just wanna make sure I'm on, yes. So. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that because I told you I went to a respectable church. It was not socially respectable to do anything crazy. And the first time I went to, I think I went to an Assembly God church, and they were like all in the aisles. And I think there were people barefoot. It was kind of crazy. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not doing that. That's not, mm -mm, no. Um, and I still have my reservations on some things. Like, I don't do the barefoot thing yet, yet. But, um, but I have been growing in how I, so I am going to, we're gonna do the Set Me Free song, some of the, and the first thing I want you to do is stay completely still. All right, so no movement, arms down. I would say don't even use the chairs as like a resting place. I'm looking at Jack. <laughs> like, that's cheating. All right, so. Um, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You have set me free. You can sing along. Ready? Oh, 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 thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord, you have set me free. Okay, so now that's your baseline. See, Jack can't even do it. He can't even stay still. He's like, not. I love that. Okay, so now I want you to just try, like, you know, like hands open, you know, maybe down here, not too crazy, just down. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You have set me free. All right. I want you to sway a little to the side by side. Ready? So we're going to sway? You know. Ready? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You have set me free. Okay, so you can do a little arm thing, a little bit. Don't go above the shoulder, though, okay? Keep it down. Keep it down. So, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You have set me free. All right, both hands out. I can't do it because of the. But try both hands. Ready? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, you have set me free. Okay, if I have more soul than you, this is a problem. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, so we're going up. Are you ready? All right, arms up. Here we go. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, you have set me free. One more time. Oh, oh. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You have set me free. Okay. So, how did it feel different? Those of you who participated. <laughs> right? There's something about our body. We are not meant to stay still. And if we have the opportunity to come before a holy God who created the heavens and earth, the most beautiful place you've ever seen is just one little piece of his glory, then it's okay. So some of you, you're like, I am not ready for this, and if I have to do this, I'm leaving right now, and I'm not coming back. That, no, no, no. I'm just saying that in 6-8, here in our sanctuary, it is okay for you to experiment. There are other ways that we haven't even touched on, like kneeling, some of you who are moved, if you feel, I know that it's a little tight in the rows, come out to the aisle, come up front. If you want to kneel, if you want to jump, it's okay. I want to invite you to experiment in worship. Because the reality is, your worship pleases the Father. And we worship in spirit and in truth, not in respectable social ways. That will never give you breakthrough in your life. But when you worship with your whole heart, with your whole body, with your whole mind, spirit, soul, you will see breakthrough in your life. And just to finish up with um, this idea of word and worship coming together, those of you who want to see breakthrough, start screaming. Uh, start speaking and singing the scripture into your life and you will see movement. And test God in that. He will be faithful. All right, so I'm going to ask my band guys to come back up because we are going to do a song that's a call and response. It's new. It's a beautiful song. I'm looking forward to it. I'll be singing like a line, you respond. You guys hopefully have experienced this whole call and response thing. I think it will be evident. 
And feel free during the song to go ahead and try out different things. If you want to bow your head and like, like, it doesn't, just try it out. See how it affects your worship.